Welcome to the M Report Podcast. I'm here with Raina Anderson. This is your host, Missy Naje, And we're going to be talking about our topic today, which is fear in society. And our guest, she is awesome, number one. And not only that, but also her qualifications definitely give her the experience to talk about this. She got her master's in faith and culture at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. And she's also an awesome radio host with Radio Maria in Houston as well. And her experience is in the interreligious dialogue, specializing in the Catholic-Muslim dialogue. Welcome to the podcast, Raina. Hi, thank you, Missy. So bring us all to what we're going to talk about. Bring us to how fear is driving relationships, society, and pretty much everyday decisions. The founding fathers were influenced by philosophers like Locke, Hobbes, Montesquieu, uh, Voltaire, Rousseau, all these philosophers from the Enlightenment who very much saw themselves as um, not individuals within society, but individuals outside of society. And so while that may seem irrelevant, it's very pertinent because as human beings, we are made for relationship. Everything that we have, everything, our intellect, our will, our body, we are made for relationship, even including sexual relationship. And so this is something that seeing ourselves outside of society, seeing ourselves outside of community, almost degrades our sense of uh, humanity and who we are because we no longer see ourselves as collectively, but individually. And this has really spurred the way our country, the way we relate to other countries, the way we relate to each other in this country, the way that we seek our freedoms and our rights and that it's ours and nobody else's, that it's our American right for this, it's our American right for that. When really before the Enlightenment and before a lot of these uh, waves of, let's see, neo-thinking, I guess you could call it for lack of a better word, we saw ourselves within relationships. Um, We identified ourselves within these relationships that we held, these friendships, these marriages, whatever type of relationship in society that we had, but we identified ourselves as such. Okay, so how does fear play into this? Okay, so when we see ourselves outside of fear, I'm sorry, outside of fear, outside of society, that is when we, we start to fear because we're lonely. And so there's this concept of moving from loneliness to solitude and moving from hostility to hospitality because when you're lonely you're hostile okay and so it feeds on the fear of others the fear of what is different the fear of the unknown and so it it really penetrates the heart of the human being and so we have writers like pope john paul ii who say do not fear I mean, and in the Bible, it is... It's mentioned a lot of times. It's mentioned a lot, and it's definitely... I would love to have the scriptures here in front of me, but I don't. Jesus says repeatedly to the apostles, do not fear, do not fear. And why? Because there's this anxiety. He, because he knows the human heart, our tendency for anxiety, our tendency to, to fear the unknown, to fear the things that are just not certain. As human beings, we have this tendency, right? Because we're human, because we're vulnerable, because we're fragile, even though society would have us believe that we're not, that we're strong, and that we're proud, and that we can, we're invincible, we're immortal. And no, it's, it's not true. We are, we're meant to be humble. We're meant to um, praise a, a supreme being, a higher good, if you will. And so 
and so this is this is the root of fear. The fear, this root of fear, is is really just in the uncertainty and, and in the unknown. Excuse me. You said it it started from these philosophers and the four founders and the, the, the Enlightenment, right? Uh huh. Exactly. In the Enlightenment, um, and so and so. I mean, with the political upheaval with in that era of just the revolutions going on, like the French Revolution, we have Rousseau, Voltaire, etc., are really trying to identify themselves. They're, they're having these philosophical, these philosophical conversations, right, within their society, but then now they're leaving God out of it. So when you, necessarily, when you leave God out of these things, then, it, it, I mean, everything starts to crumble. Society starts to crumble. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. It's called xenophobia. And... A lot of Americans suffer from xenophobia. I mean, and not just Americans, people in general. But especially, just because we live in the United States, it's very pertinent here. And how we fear people of other religions, how we fear people of other races, how we fear people who do not believe in God, how we fear people who are, are just different, are just plain different. Visually, um, physically, mentally, religiously, spiritually, everything. They may be different. But we, we're not meant to fear we're meant to embrace what is different, and we're meant to love what is different. And so, the opposite of fear is love. It begins in your heart. So, how are yeah? How about fear and relationships in our heart? Like, what is this? What is the issue today with fear? I mean, you said these relationships have broken us apart. We're not a society that knows who our neighbor is. We're not a society who's able to. I mean, there's a lot of no's and a lot of negatives, but there's also positives. Where do you see like a break in both? I think fear is most prominent in the youth, unfortunately. So we have youth who are, who can be sometimes very apathetic and sometimes very negative, mm-hmm. um, but also have that tendency to have passion for a certain cause, maybe a certain social mm-hmm. cause, or something that they believe in deeply. Why? Because, mm-hmm. because they're looking to love. They're looking mm-hmm. to love deeply. However, society is, is feeding them a counterfeit love. Mm-hmm. And, and it's rooted in fear. Because it's really just fear masqueraded as love. And I say this because, and I'll, I'll explain it, when you decide to commit to a relationship, a lot of people go in with fear of divorce. Yes. A lot of people go in with past hurts. Yes. A lot of people go in with, with a lot of baggage. And so they're bringing those things in these relationships. They're not knowing how to filter yes. all of their emotions, all of their past traumas. At this point, it's a blind leading the blind. <laughs> right? Because you have two people that are, have both like have baggage, have emotional baggage, have uh, all these experiences we've gone through. They're very unique people. We're all, we're all very unique. And so we're coming together, which is really, if you think about it, it's, it's a miracle that two people can come together. And then you see, maybe you have the first problem, the first fight, the first, um, or maybe you're angry. And then you're you're being resented because you're angry, right? The other person's resenting you for being angry. And so you're having all of these things coming up in the relationship that really can be talked out, that we can really understand each other. And if we really work at it, but people are giving up. People are giving up because they're saying, no, well, I can get somebody else around the corner. You know, like in, in two weeks time, I'll have somebody else, I'll have someone new. It's very, it's this culture of, of discarding people. It's this culture of, saying that, oh, I'm going to get what I need out of you. If I need sex at this moment, then I'm going to get it, and I'm going to get it at all costs. I'm going to tell you that I love you, and I'm going to receive this, what, this, and I'm going to satiate this need. And it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit because the commitment is not there. It's very much a business transaction. And, I mean, this is all rooted 
you can go and read John Stuart Mill, Utilitarianism. It's the utility of the person, and the person is not to be used as a means to an end. Okay. That's interesting. I recently discovered this article that saying that we are equal to the mindset of the, the will and the mindset of an animal, and we have a soul and we have free will. And I thought that article was just blasphemy. I thought it was just crazy just to show that, you know what, it makes sense that we should have more than one wife because that's just probably how it works out better. We can't satisfy all our quote-unquote needs with one person. We're probably meant to be with multiple people. And that kind of mindset probably could go back to that utilitarian. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you've taken God out of the picture. And that's the problem. Is that, really? Are you going to satiate your needs with another human being? You'll never satiate your needs with another human being. You're not destined for it. The only person and the only in person, quote-unquote, God is going to satiate your needs. That is it. And and that's what what happens. When we take God out of the picture, it becomes this, oh, it's very instinctual. I'm going to satiate my need because it's instinct. No, actually, it's a need within your heart that your body is connected to it, and then there's this beautiful fusion of the body and the soul. But we cannot leave, there's a, there is no concept of the soul without God. And so people confuse that to be, oh, I have this physical need. And it's like, no, if you feel like you have a physical need, it's because your heart, you're lonely. And that is actually the, the need that you satiate is your loneliness. And so when you put it in that perspective and not just like a sexual urge, then you see it as like, there's something more to my loneliness. Why am I not okay with being alone? And so, and it, it really begs the question then, because a sexual urge will never satisfy. And I think you can see that in, um, what are they called? Nympho, oh, nymphos? Um, nymphos, I guess we'll just call we'll shorten it to nymphos. But um, <laughs> it's an addiction, and what it's never satiated, so they go go crazy with everybody that they find, and, and if it sparks, then it then it goes, you know. And so I think that's a clear example of how like we have this tendency to go to the extreme things mm-hmm. and be like, okay, well, I'm going to satisfy this sexual urge. But then we neglect of what actually this spirit is telling us and this, our soul is telling us with this, like, in, it, we're not looking at it in unison with um, our body and our soul. We're looking at strictly our body. And I think that that's where we err. In Brazil, uh, there is, and on really at this point, all of Central America and South America, and some cases right now in Europe and United States, have the Zika virus. And if they've been infected with the Zika virus, there's a chance that the scientific, although scientific research hasn't come to any conclusions yet, that they're advised to abort because their child could have quote-unquote implications. But the women who aren't pregnant and who do get infected, they have a greater chance of surviving this infection. So it seems to be that the Brazilians, they have their cultural, subcultural norms, and that's how it's been going. But this one recent virus that is circumventing the, the country is just creating this type of fear with the women there. And there was a woman who went, who was pregnant with twins, and one of them had Down syndrome. So she went to go and get an abortion, um, of the baby who had Down syndrome, correct? So she goes and she has the abortion. And um, finally, when 
her good, quote-unquote, good baby was born, doctor tells the mother that there's something severely wrong. And then she asks, like, you know, what's wrong with my baby? And then the doctor tells her, the baby has Down syndrome. I, it's a clear example of how fear can drive you to make decisions to end life. Our decision-making processes are not perfected. There, I mean, there will be errors. And so to give ourselves over to chance like that, um, just because of fear, and to, to end a life just because of fear, is really sad and it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's the pride that we go in with in these situations. And we say that, okay, well, our technology and our knowledge and our intelligence is better than what God has in store for us. So we're going to try to eliminate it. It's just a technological error. But at the same time, it's a very moral error as well. I mean, the question is, how can we, you know, how can us, how can the listeners, how can we work on not letting fear rule our lives? I think that what we have to really work on is the opposite of fear, which is love. Filling ourselves with love and compassion for others. Looking at situations not in a light of a very business contract relationship or, or um, things that really are not intuitive nor inherent for us as human beings to just really go on with this whole culture of discarding people culture of discarding things, consumerism. I think that we're very much influenced by all of these things, but at the same time, there is a voice within, there is a conscience within that we have to follow. I think that the fear that is in our hearts can only rest, really, we can only rest when we realize that there is something much greater and that we're not in control. Fear comes from this spirit of control and that we want to control things. And that's exactly what happened in, in my anecdotal example of this woman who had the abortion. She wanted to control what the future had in store for her and it, didn't, it did not turn out well. I think that relinquishing that control of wanting to just micromanage our lives and and if this doesn't work out, then this is the it. This, this is it. This is the end. And if this relationship didn't work out, this is the end. And, and if I got Zika, this is the end. <laughs> you know, and, and if Donald Trump becomes president, it's the end. Or, or if the Muslims come in, we, we don't have control of everything. And that's okay. And that's okay. But we have to really be um, secure and sure in the fact that, that there is someone who is in control. And that uh, what he has is good for us. Thank you so much. That was great insight that you gave us today. Please let us know how we can get in contact with you. How can the listeners find you? What's your handle on Twitter? Raina Don Anderson. And you can also get at me on Facebook. Raina Osiris, R-E-Y-N-A Osiris. Thanks for listening to the M Report podcast on fear and society. We appreciate your time. And we'll look forward to talking to you guys again on the next topic. Thanks. And bye-bye.